Today on Making Sense, we talk about the reopening of China, if it's a good news story or not so much. Then on Secrets of Success, we explore the ever-elusive retirement number. And then we round out our time together with the exploration of the four-day work week and if it's here to stay or a failed experiment. Let's talk about China. And uh, now with China reopening, this should be good for the economy and fixing a lot of the supply chain issues, right? With them possibly supplying Russia with lethal aid, U.S. sanctions already imposed, and investments likely staying inside of China, is the economy really getting help to fight off global recession or just more uncertainty? China recently announced that they were finally abandoning their zero-COVID policy, the tough stance that has left the country cycling between production and complete lockdowns. Goldman Sachs has increased their expectations for China's GDP growth to 6.5% and sees strong potential of being international ripples, including boosting oil prices, which could benefit exporters such as Canada. Of course, strong growth is what many governments around the world are trying to avoid as they continue to rise interest rates to try and slow inflation. Why this happened? A lot has changed on the world stage since China implemented its zero COVID policy and tensions between China and the US have only picked up. If we rewind back to 2018, when Donald Trump initiated a trade war with China in an attempt to rebalance the economic relationship between the two countries, this has only become more and more pronounced throughout the past five years. In October 2022, Joe Biden rolled out sweeping export controls to prevent China from gaining access to cutting-edge semiconductors and AI capabilities. We're now seeing 90% of Apple's Chinese suppliers pivoting out of China and investing heavily into Vietnam. Bloomberg estimates this could take up to eight years to move just 10% of its production out of China. This has led to China's National People's Congress rolling out plans for deepening structural reform. 2022 was a tough year for China with growth being at its second worst level since 1976 at only 3%, a stark difference from 2021 when it was at 8%. So what does this mean? Even with all the uncertainty around China, there's still a lot to be optimistic about. As they move from reopening to recovery, Goldman Sachs anticipates the MSCI China index could increase by as much as 24% by the end of this year. From the peak in February 2021, the index has been on a constant slide, losing about 48%. A lot of the growth is anticipated to be in the second and third quarters, and they put that up to be about 9 and 7% respectively. China is relying on consumer spending increases, but so far that has not transpired. This is why the People's Bank of China is focusing its support on domestic demand expansion and stabilizing economic growth and prices. Right now, Chinese households have accumulated 2.6 trillion in fresh savings just this year. Unfortunately, less than 30% of it is available to spend right away as the rest is locked away in long-term savings accounts. They are also fighting against a weak job market and a real estate crisis. Where China will be able to spend is going to be difficult since there is large government debt along with many of the major infrastructure projects already being completed. On the other side, Canada and Chinese trade hit an all-time highs in 2022. Canada surpassed the import record of over $100 billion for the first time. Consumer goods topped the imports at over $31 billion. We also exported a historic high of $27.9 billion. With China reopening, we could see that number increase in 2023 as oil exports rise as well. So the future has yet to be written on the story of China and what's next. 
Now for secrets of success, we're gonna talk about what's your retirement number. Are you close to the 1.7 million saved that Canadians believe they're going to need to retire? If not, do you have a plan to move back in with your children? The head of wealth distribution at one of the major banks says she feels 1.7, I would say, is high. From where I sit, I would say that I have no idea what you need to retire. It is, however, one of the questions that we get asked more than any other. What is my retirement number? Everyone wants a nice, easy number based on what others are doing, but it's a little more complicated than that. In Canada, we have several different vehicles in which we can save for the future, and each of them are treated very differently in how they are taxed initially, as they grow, and upon withdrawal. If you're saving solely in RSPs or through work savings plans, you are likely to need a lot more as your retirement paycheck could be fully taxable. On the other side, if you're saving in a TFSA or a non-registered or even a corporate investment account, you are likely to need to save less as the taxation could be reduced or even eliminated altogether. As unexciting as it is, the only way to get your number is to build a financial roadmap. I would suggest building out a cash flow statement of what your current spend is so that you can anticipate your future needs. There are some basic tools available online, or of course, we always recommend engaging a certified financial planner to walk you through the process, which is usually your best bet. This survey also found that about 44% of Canadians were confident that they're going to have what they need to retire, which is down by 10% from 2020. If you're one of the 56% that isn't confident that you're going to be able to retire, or the majority that have no idea what you're aiming for, there are tools and professionals that can help. Now for the lighter side, let's review the four-day work week. The largest ever trial for the four-day work week found that most UK companies participating are not returning to the five-day standard and a third are ready to make that change permanent. The study involved 61 organizations and about 2,900 workers who voluntarily adopted truncated work weeks from June to December 2022. Only three organizations decided to pause the experiment and two are still considering shorter hours, data released Tuesday showed. The rest were convinced by revenue gains, drops in turnover, and lower levels of worker burnout that four is the new five when it comes to workdays. Tuesday's fresh UK results helped make that business case for the four-day work week. Organizational revenue was up 35% from a year earlier and rose by 1.4% during the trial. Though multi-company measures of productivity are difficult, the organizations rated the impact of the four-day schedules as positive, averaging 7.5 on a 10-point scale. Employee absenteeism dropped from two days a month to 0.7, while turnover fell by more than half. Although the small sample and broader labor market dynamics make it difficult to isolate the trial effect, companies rated the overall experience an 8.3 out of 10. After the pandemic, flexibility around work-life balance became essential for most companies to win and keep workers in a tight labor market. Now some see the four-day work week as a new weapon in the battle for talent. Women in particular benefited from the extra day off. While both genders reported better outcomes, females experienced greater boost around life and job satisfaction. It's also shifting household dynamics as men reported they took on more childcare and housework, though men still do not carry a 50% share. Sounds like times are a-changing. Thank you for joining us on the Cherry Hill Perspective. 
All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.